welcome the Fellowship Bible Church. Let's stand together. We want to sing all to Jesus Christ. Good morning. What a great way to start the service. Like all that we do, we give it to him. It is for the Lord. It's for his glory. So welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, my name is Ryan McCreary. I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here. I'm the associate pastor here. It's good to be worshiping with you all this morning. If you just want to take a seat, uh, we have a couple of announcements for you. And if you're new here visiting with us, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. In the bulletin that you received on the way in is a connection card. 
And if you'd like to fill that out and drop it at the welcome desk on your way out, we would love to connect with you and to know how we can best follow up with you. And also for those who are worshiping with us online, we want to welcome you as well. We're glad that you are uh, worshiping with us here. And then if you go to our website, there's a place there to connect with us. And we'd love to hear from you as well as maybe other ways that we can connect or pray for you. So this morning, uh, we are going to have a special focus on missions and outreach. And so here at Fellowship, we want to grow deep, but we also want to reach out with the faith that God has given us. And so for our missionaries, you can go online, you can go to our missions wall there in the North Foyer by the cafe to learn more. But I'm excited to share a couple of the outreach partners that we have here. And the first one I want to talk about is Eight Days of Hope. Eight Days of Hope is a Christian organization that really responds to disaster relief needs. And we started partnering with them a couple of years ago. And so next Sunday, October 1st, in the Cedar Room, that's right outside the doors on the left-hand side, next Sunday at 1045, Dakota Hart, uh, our coordinator, part of our church, is going to lead those of you who might be interested in responding. We want teams always ready in case that there's any sort of disaster that takes place in our area. In fact, we've sent teams to Florida. We actually have a team doing some rebuild uh, taking place in Ohio here in the coming months. But we really want this to be an opportunity. If you're wired that way to respond that way and to love people that way, we want to invite you to come to that interest meeting to learn more. But we also this morning get to share a little bit more with you about one of our partners um, that we've been partnering with for a while, which is CareNet. So I'm going to ask Alicia Joyce to join us on stage. If y'all would give her a warm welcome. Good morning. So Alicia is the executive director at CareNet, but she is also um, attendees here. Her family is a part of fellowship. So before we start with CareNet, I'd love to hear more about you and your family. Yes, we moved here last August, actually. Uh, Ed and I have been married 25 years. We have three kids. Our oldest just graduated from Baylor, got married. Now she works at Baylor. Our middle is a junior, and then we have Sebastian, who attends here and is in the youth ministry, and he's a junior at Midway. And so if you see Alicia or her husband, Ed, or Sebastian, we just want to encourage you to stop them in the hallways and get to know them. They're very joyful and a great family to talk to. You really are. Um, but also, I'd love to hear more about Karen. You've been the executive director here for under a year, and one thing I was really inspired by going to the missions banquet is just to hear how Jesus-focused, Christ-centered, this is, and just what your mission is and what the services are that you provide. Yeah, so CareNet next year will have been around for 40 years in the Waco community, and it really is a ministry focused on strengthening pregnant women and parents. Mm -hmm. We offer free services and education, and all of that is offered in a life-affirming community that really radiates Jesus Christ. And so my vision, stepping in, is really to make sure our programming reflects the ministry part of what we're supposed to do. I love this uh, discipleship program that's going on right now because we as an organization, that's what we get to do. These clients come through the doors and, you know, we are discipling them by giving them a chance to taste and see that God is so good wherever mm-hmm. they are and we meet them and then hopefully, you know, win them over for Christ. I love that because, you know, many times we're looking to uh, laws or things like that and definitely good things have been happening um, in our land. But in terms of laws, but the thing is, it's not just about a law. 
And that's what you've been so clear on. This is about heart transformation. And so as we consider what this looks like to partner alongside of you, what are some ways that fellowship can further that partnership, especially those maybe listening today? Yeah, we have so many ways to come in and really pour into our clients. Uh, Right now, what we're looking for is to have people come in, maybe a mom's group or a life group to come in and offer maybe dinner and fellowship with our moms and our clients. We have ways to come in. If you have time during the day, you can pack diapers. You can just be a helper around. You can be trained to be a spiritual counselor. So when they connect on our website, there's a volunteer online volunteer application, mm-hmm. and it'll tell you the various ways that you can volunteer. Plus, we need donations, and of course, there's always, if you are called to give financially, we always need financial support. But there's so many ways to plug in and just be part of the hands and feet that we're called to be. Absolutely. And guys, many times we hear this, this pregnancy center, there is a role for you with the dads who come in. Um, so I just want to encourage all of you, if, if God is sort of nudging your heart, um, I want to learn more about this uh, to come alongside moms and dads. Please give Karenette, one of our outreach partners, um, consideration. If y'all would give Alicia a hand for joining Thank us you. this morning. Thank, Thank you, Alicia. So as she makes her way down, one of the things I want to think about is we're definitely a church that grows deep, but we reach out. And as we, I've been thinking about, as we kind of turn our attention to the services this morning, this is one of those moments where we've been talking about how we go out those doors and make an impact. But my question is, how are you? I think about my own life and sometimes just coming on Sundays is kind of that, that moment that I needed to kind of maybe reset a little bit. And I'm just so glad you're here. You may have had the hardest week and you don't know who you can turn to or talk to, but you can talk to God. You may have had maybe amazingly, amazing week, amazingly difficult week, but I've been kind of journeying through the Psalms and that's what they were really meant to do. They're meant to capture your heart to know that you can take your heart to God, whether it's David or one of the other writers. But those words many times, uh, they just, he talks about reflecting on his wondrous deeds. So if you're in a hard time, sometimes it's good just to reflect on God's wondrous deeds deed and to reflect on who he is because life can get really messy and confusing. So I want to just kind of share this one Psalm. It's very simple. Psalm 4610. Be still. Just be still. Be still and know God says that I am God. We need him. He's the God who has given his son. So therefore he is a God who has given all and through Jesus, he has paid it all. Just be still. He longs to be exalted among the nations. Would you open your heart for that calling? He he longs to be exalted all throughout the earth. This morning we talk about discipleship, what that looks like for you to pass on your faith. I just pray that you would just be still. He's paid it all. He is your God. He is worthy of our praise. Let us stand now and worship him.
for the new life that we have in Christ this morning. As we continue to worship and just think about how Jesus paid it all, let's ponder our loving God who saw fit to send his son for us. This is our God. Continue in worship with us this morning. 
remember those walls that we called sin and shame They were like prisons that we couldn't escape But he came and he died and he rose Those walls are rubble now Remember those giants we called death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But he came and he died and he rose Those giants are dead now This is our God, this is who he is He loves us This is our God This is what he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. Remember the fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could Altars in the wilderness Tell the story of his faithfulness Never once did he fail And he never will This is our God, this is who he is He loves us This is our God, this is what he does He saves us Nobody but Jesus Who pulled me out of that pit He did, he did Who paid for all of our sin Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh Who gets the glory and praise Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Him. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. And this is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. For the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ, he... He bore the cross, he took away our sins, he paid the debt 
and no one else gets the praise but Jesus alone. Let's sing to him.
His name is worthy of all of our praise. So let us go before the Lord right now in prayer. So if you want to have a seat, as we are just worshiping God in song, let us go now before him in prayer. So if you want to bow your heads, close your eyes. And just in the quietness of prayer, would you declare the absolute worthiness of Jesus? Like we see in Revelation, worthy, worthy, worthy is him. Would you praise him that he is the Lord God Almighty? Would you thank him as we have sung that he has taken us from darkness and he's brought us into his light? Would you thank the Lord that he has redeemed your life from the pit and he has crowned you with loving kindness? Would you thank him that he has taken you from spiritual death and he's given you life in Christ. Would you praise the eternal God who has emancipated us from the slavery of sin and we now walk in the freedom of his grace. We live in his love. We once were lost and he has made us his children who've been found you worship him? Would you thank the Lord that he gives us all that we need in Christ? Grace. Thank him for mercy. For his peace. For love. That we will rest in and rejoice in his love. Would you praise the triune God that he is absolutely holy? And for the times that you and I have missed the mark, we've sinned, whatever it might be, as the Spirit of God now starts bringing these to mind, as you ask him, God, where am I falling short? Where, where is it that I have missed the mark? Would you just confess this to the Lord, turn from it, receive the unconditional love and grace he's given us in Jesus. Would you thank him that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bring your petitions before him now, matters that are weighing on you, issues that you're aware of, problems in our world? Would you bring all of these matters to him? He's able. as we begin this week, we do so in worship. Would you ask God to cultivate in each of our lives the ability to worship him throughout the week, to give our lives fully for him, to him, 
to ask that the Lord himself would do his work in us and through us in our relationships as we represent him in this community, as we walk with him in this world. So Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to worship you with our singing, our praying, our giving, and the opening of your word. We're asking now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and you would take all the distraction from us and you would actually give us the ability to not only understand what we have been called to do, but by your grace to do this. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, we are systematically making our way through this book. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you're finding 2 Timothy chapter 2, you probably recognize what I've got in my hand. It's a relay baton. And if you have any experience in in running track or you've been to a track meet, you know that this is like a really important. This, This baton, how it works, you've got different runners. They have a segment of the race in which they run. Um, and what they do is they literally pour themselves out on that track. They run as hard as they can. And then, of course, there's the exchange that takes place. You've got another awaiting runner. And you have an exchange zone that you have to make this transition in. And you also have to stay in your lane. And you you got a runner coming in, and they're totally exhausted. And they're going to pass it on to that next guy or that next gal who's in that race. And then it's their turn to run. And passing this baton on, you might think like, Psh, that shouldn't be a problem, but it is. It's actually a lot harder than you might think. And I tell you that because if you are a Christian, you've got one of these in your hand. You're like, no, really? I do? Not perhaps a physical baton like this, but you have the baton of the faith. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. The word of God, the greatness of the gospel and God has actually entrusted this to you. You are, if you were a Christian, you are one of the redeemed, and you're in the relay race. And currently, at this present time, you're running your race while you have opportunity, and you and I are called to be involved in exchanging, to bringing this baton of the faith and passing it on to the next generation. And I'll tell you that I am so significantly grateful for the men who have poured into my life to help me grow, to understand what it means to follow Jesus, to deal with the issues in my life and to help me take next steps of growing in grace. And I would imagine that as you think back to your life, and even at this present time, think of those who are investing in you. Think of those who have left a legacy, who have tried to be intentional in passing on the baton of faith to you, perhaps in many of your cases, maybe it was your parents or a grandparent. Maybe it was a coworker, someone in our church. Maybe you see pastors or someone that's, they've really been intentional to try to help me grow to experience the fullness of life in Christ. Friends, the baton is in your hand. The question is, though, what are you going to do with this baton? You know, if you run a great race, but you don't actually pass on the baton, you don't seem to understand that that's all part of it, it kind of like ends with you. It's rather unfortunate. So the question that we need to ask and be able to answer is this, how are we to go about making disciples? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus, having lived a perfect life, and then you remember he went to the cross, he died and he 
He literally pays the penalty for sin. He, expect, he receives God's just wrath against sin upon himself, and he gives himself fully, for this was the reason that he came, to die to redeem the lost so that they might be able to have life in him, abundant life, eternal life, forever with him. And do you remember after he came back from the dead, he was resurrected. He made multiple appearances to a wide variety of people, And before he ascended back into heaven with the promise that he's going to return, he gave this, what we call, the Great Commission. You find it in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, 18 through 20. And Jesus simply said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the absolute supreme Lord over all, the sovereign one. And this is my command. This is what you are to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. You are worshipers of me but I'm going to involve you in my disciple-making ministry. Now, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, and all these disciples and others were all kind of gathered around Jesus, do you think they were totally puzzled as to like, uh, what are you even talking about making disciples? Or do you think like, well, they're like, okay, sounds kind of familiar, but... We're going to need a lot more information. Like, we need the New Testament, and then we might be able to figure it out and go from there. Or do you think that they knew exactly what Jesus was asking them to do? I want you to think about that, because I want to present to you today, when Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, they absolutely knew with great clarity what they were to do. It's because this is what Jesus had been doing with them, and they were to take that baton and they were to carry it forward. And so when you come to this idea of like disciple making, or the word even disciple, you're like, okay, what does that even mean? That word means to be a learner, a student, one who is taught by another, or you could even think of it as an apprentice. And it's very interesting that the early Christians, do you know the most popular way they were referred to was and how they identified themselves? As disciples as learners, people who were growing in their relationship with Jesus. So to give you a definition of what it means to be a disciple, it's a follower of Jesus Christ who through relationship with him is maturing in his likeness and being mobilized for his ministry. And so when you and I place our faith in Christ, God fully expects that we're going to not only grow in our relationship with him, but we're going to be used by him to pass on the faith in Christ to others. And that's what the Great Commission is. And if you want to see what does that actually look like, well, when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you have one of the great texts on discipleship. And it gives us the top two priorities of life-giving disciple-makers. And the first one is found in verse 1, and that is this. You've got to develop a lifestyle of growing in grace. Notice what Paul writes. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
So here we have Paul. He's writing this final letter to his protege, Timothy. And you see the warmth, the tenderness, the love. You therefore, my son, you always want to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word be strong, it's a present imperative verb. It means to be empowered, but it's the ongoing empowerment. You see, the Christian life is lived in the strength of knowing Christ. It's his strength, his power, and we always keep coming back to him, be strong in the grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's the riches of relationship with Christ, and so what God intends is that we're to be growing in his grace, to know the depth of his love, his warmth, his hope, his peace, his healing. And as we've been going through 2 Timothy, we see that Timothy's got some strong issues, he might be going through some pretty serious breakdown. You see, chapter two, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, uh, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I want you to know that what Paul is doing, doing is he's helping Timothy understand, listen, we always just keep coming back to Jesus, his grace. It's his strength on an ongoing basis, even hourly that brings healing, hope, perspective, peace, our ability to love people, move forward by faith, overcome our failures, experience and express forgiveness, I want you to know that's all found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Christians are not only saved by grace, but we're strengthened by grace. We understand, like, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We, we understand, okay, so all of salvation, all of grace. God did it all, unmerited favor. But this very same grace that, that God gives us in Christ for salvation, he also gives for our sanctification, our strengthening. And that's why Paul is saying, Timothy, if you're going to be a life-giving disciple, you must continually develop a lifestyle of growing in God's grace. And the, this is all possible because Christ actually lives within his people. Remember, like in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's actually what makes you a Christian. You see, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. He's actually placed his Holy Spirit in our lives at the very moment that we believe, and we have his strength, his presence in our life, and so we keep going back to Jesus. God, would you help me to walk in your strength, to know your love, to express it, to experience it? And that's why Paul is writing, Timothy, there'll be no moving forward, and to develop this pattern, just keep going back to him. You know, when life has beaten you up and you feel pretty discouraged, maybe even despondent, go back to the grace of God. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it is from the context of grace, grace in Christ, that we see the second characteristic, a priority of a life-giving disciple. And that is that this, you want to disciple believers with a clear, clear plan for growth. So he says in verse 2, and the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're to be strong in grace, and here it is. And the things, what are the, the things? Why, 
it was all of the word that Paul had passed on in these private conversations and the sermons that Paul would give. It was the investment of the word of God. You see that in chapter 1, verse 13. You see that? Retain the standard of sound words. It is the word of God that presents the gospel. It presents the truth that God has revealed to us so that we will walk in his ways, know the immensity of his love, be, to, be, to behold his character. It's in the word. And, these, and you're like, okay, well, where, where is that now? What are those things? Well, I want you to know, God has had this recorded in the New Testament. And that's one of the reasons why we give ourselves to the studying of the Bible is because it's the word of God that we are to pass on. And he says, so these things, verse two, that you've heard from me, Notice, in the presence of many witnesses. You see, certainly Timothy had one-on-one times with the Apostle Paul. But Timothy wasn't the only person that Paul poured into. Paul actually had lots of individuals that he poured into. So you've got Timothy, and Timothy garners a lot of special attention. We know that because he gets two letters that are actually in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. But there were others, like Titus and Tychicus and Trophimus and um, Tertius and Erastus, okay? But then when you come to like in Romans chapter 16, really interesting, in Romans 16, you have 26 people that Paul lists and knows things about, has made investments in. A third of them are women, like uh, Phoebe, Prisca, Junia, Maria, Tryphena, Tryphosa. You see, what Paul did is he invested in their lives, small groups, sometimes one-on-one, all with the idea that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus. You see, what Paul is doing, and he's articulating in verse 2, this is Paul's version of how he's carrying out the Great Commission. And notice there are four generations found right here. Look at verse 2. The things that you've heard from me, so Paul, so what is he doing? In the presence of many witnesses, entrust these, so I passed it on to you, Timothy. Timothy, you are to the third generation. You're to pass it on to faithful men who will what? Have the ability and the vision that they're going to pass it on to another generation. You see it right there. It's kind of like that relay. Me, you, you find faithful men and they will in return pass it on to others. That is how God intends to develop his people. One person at a time. It's a relay exchange. They're transmitting and passing on how the word of God and how faith in Christ are developed and matured in an individual's life. And so uh, when you see this happening here, what, what this is, is discipleship. So to give you just a simple definition of discipleship, it's this. It is the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered individuals or Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. I want you to know, like, every word is important. It is intentional. It's not haphazard. It's not certainly passive. And it's relational. It comes in the context of relationship. And you are to, it's realized this is a process. It's not just like, well, I'm going to tell you about these things. We're done. One shot. No, it's a process of maturing Christ-centered individuals where Jesus is at the heart of everything of that person's life. Not just Sunday morning, but in every aspect of their life. And mobilizing them for ministry, specifically the ministry of disciple-making, to do what Jesus said of making disciples of all the nations. You need to think of it this way. Discipleship happens through relationship. 
Discipleship happens through relationship. You're basically just helping individuals taking their next steps in their understanding, growth, and love of Jesus. It's very much like parenting. You know, so like parents, you know, with our kids, what we're trying to do is we want them to grow and thrive in every aspect of their life, right? That's what we're trying to do. So if you're a kid here and you're like, I have no idea what my parents are doing to me, I want you to know this is what they're trying to do. It is imperfect because they're imperfect, but they want you to be fully mature in every respect, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, intellectually. I mean, just every aspect of your being, they want you to be mature, and they're working toward that end. And that's kind of what we do in discipleship. We are asking God to use us to help people take next steps of growth. And, and it's all toward the goal of seeing people brought to the fullness of maturity. Somewhere along the line, we just got the idea is like all we're really interested in is that people just say that they believe in Jesus and we'll call them saved, and that's it. Who cares? We just keep moving. Actually, when you read the New Testament, the real emphasis is people to not only know Christ, but to grow deep in him. You see this with the Apostle Paul in like Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Do you see what he says? He says this, we proclaim him, who's him? Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man, every person, complete in Christ. That word complete, Greek word teleos, it means fully mature. In every respect, they have maturity that comes from their relationship with Christ. In fact, you could even translate it perfect. Not that they're without sin, but that they have a maturity in their life. This is what God intends. And Paul gives himself fully to this because he says in the next verse, in verse 29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. There's that being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm strong in God's grace, therefore I'm going to invest myself in helping people come to know the fullness of maturity in Christ. And that's what we do. So like Ford Madison just made it really simple when it comes to discipleship. He simply said this, the essence of of a discipleship relationship involves a mature disciple who comes alongside a younger disciple and helps him take the next step or steps on the path of Christ-likeness. And so what we do is we just look at existing avenues. Like, for instance, your kids likely share your last name. That could be a hint. Like, I want to just pour my life into them. Help them grow to know Jesus and to grow deep and mature in him in every respect. But then look at relationships you already have. Maybe you're involved in a ministry, children, students, you're working with our college kids. Maybe you've got a, you're involved in in a small group, one of our life groups. Well, what you want to do is like, hey, these are people that I could help grow and take some next steps in. Um, You've got folks at work. You may have opportunities there, people that you know at school. But what you want to do is see yourself as a disciple who makes disciples. You know, it's interesting. I think like if we stop just like, well, I'm a Christian, it's like some sort of designation. And actually it's like, "I'm I'm a learner. I'm an apprentice. I'm following Jesus. I'm growing in him. And I'm supposed to help others grow in him as well. When you see yourself as a disciple maker, all of a sudden you start changing how you see your life and the investments that you're making. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of present to you, how do you do this? I tell you, we do it just like Jesus did. And so I'm going to present to you the pattern in which how Jesus developed disciples 
And what we do is we learn from this. Try to implement these types of steps in your setting. See yourself as a disciple maker and see how these steps can be applied in your life to help people grow mature in Christ. In order to do that, though, I need to kind of just give you a little brief lesson on rabbinic history. And you're like, okay, what's, what's that? Like even the word rabbi, the word rabbi means teacher, okay? And so in Israel, in the Jewish culture, they had esteemed scholars, those who knew the word well, and they were teachers of the word, teachers of the law. They were referred to as rabbis. And of course, a big part of what they did is they taught. They taught the word of God, and they were the ones that explained, but they also explained like how the scriptures apply to your lives. But it went more than that. Even though their teaching ministry was very significant, the most significant ministry they had was their ministry to their students, referred to as the Talmudim. It was their traveling band of students that traveled with the rabbi. And so how it worked is most rabbis were itinerant. They kind of went from place to place, and they would stay. They would speak at synagogues. They would help people understand how the word of God applied to their lives. But they always had their students with them, and they were always pouring into their students. Now, there were some uh, rabbis that were pretty much based in Jerusalem at the temple, but most of them were itinerant. And what people would do is if they were blessed by their ministry, they were growing in their learning, they would uh, give them funds that would support their ministry. And that was kind of an act of worship. That's kind of what that looked like. So uh, what what takes place, though, is that the rabbi was investing in his Talmudim, and they wanted to become like their rabbi. And so it was in this context that Jesus actually begins his disciple-making ministry. And so I want to present to you just the six uh, uh, characteristics of a disciple-making ministry that we learn from Jesus and give you some ideas on how we can apply that to our disciple-making ministry. So the first one is that you've got to connect with people. And that's what we see Jesus doing. So uh, at about age 30, Jesus then begins a public ministry. But before that, what was Jesus doing? He was a carpenter. That's right. He was working, contracts, doing business. And think of it, I mean, he was perfect. So we're talking like super high quality work, but he was interfacing with all sorts of people and all the miseries and challenges that come from being a business owner and being in the workforce. I want you to know Jesus experienced that. He can relate. He understands. But at about age 30, he, becomes, he begins a public ministry. And the first thing that we actually see Jesus doing as we study the Gospels, we see Jesus connecting with people, all sorts of people, like Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel and John 1. You see Jesus at a wedding and, and really bringing a lot of joy to the wedding. Uh, you see him interacting like with Peter and his family. In fact, we even see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus was starting to speak in various synagogues. He was connecting with people. And of course, all around the region of Galilee, Jesus was contacting and connecting with people, whether it be on seashores or in different villages. And it was all with the intent of building relationship. And so if you and I are going to be involved in disciple making, guess what? We've got to connect with people. We, we need to actually talk with them. You, you can't live in isolation you connect with people, and, and you just kind of do it in some pretty natural ways. Like, for instance, like at your kids' events, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and sitting in your lawn chair for like five hours out there baking in the sun, you know, watching your kid. 
But you know what? Those are opportunities to connect. People at work, uh, I want you to know, like, people in the church, like, think of it. Here's the people that are coming to worship God. They, they're Christians. They'd like to grow. You would have a tremendous opportunity to just connect with them. So you learn to just talk with them and build relationships with them. Just be yourself, be sincere and genuine. The second characteristic that we see of Jesus' disciple-making ministry is that he was calling individuals to himself. Now, how this was practiced in Jewish culture with the rabbis, they'd be traveling around, and uh, families would go, you know, I would really like my kid to get advanced education beyond what he's getting at the synagogue. There weren't like universities that you sent your kid to. What you did is you would try to get them attached to a rabbi, okay? And, and what would take place is there would be families, and they would appeal to a rabbi, and they would say, they would basically say this, may I follow you? May my son follow you? So this, this young man would say, may I follow you? And if the rabbi thought, you know, this is worth my investment, and I would attach, he would attach him to his group of students, the Talmudim, he would just simply reply then, follow me. And he would get in line, and for a season of his life, he would travel with the rabbi and all these other students and to learn everything that he could about the rabbi and to learn how he interpreted scripture, how he lived it out. Jesus, on the other hand, he does it a little different. You didn't approach Jesus and said, hey, may I follow you? No, Jesus actually selected his individuals. And he did it with this just a very simple phrase, follow me. So when you see like Peter and Andrew and James and John or Matthew, and Jesus just walks up to them and says, follow me. I want you to know that wasn't the first time that they ever saw Jesus. They had been interacting and interfacing. He connected with them. But when he said, follow me, they knew exactly what he was calling them to do, to become one of his disciples, to learn under him, to gather with him, to live with him, to invest a season of their life where they're going to be with him. And that's what you do. Now, uh, you see Paul, the apostle Paul, uh, but prior to him actually coming to know Jesus, he studied under Gamaliel. We see this like in the book of Acts. Paul references this when he actually shares of his background. And Gamaliel was a force to be reckoned with because he's even in the, in the, in the book of Acts, like he was highly esteemed. When Paul said, I studied under Gamaliel, that's like basically, basically saying, I went to Harvard. Or it's kind of like, like when, whatever school you went to, you know? So like I went to the University of Oregon, which is the Harvard of the Northwest, Right. Or your school, Baylor, A&M, you pick it, right? And, but it's like, I, this is where I went. This is where I got educated. Paul's saying, I got educa- educated under Gamaliel. I studied with him. I was a part of his traveling group of students. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He selects his own and he says, follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. I will do this. And when they were with Jesus, the issue wasn't like, hey, what can you do for me? Uh-uh. It was like, how can I become like you? And so you and I and our disciple-making ministry, what we want to do is we want to call individuals into interactions about how our faith in Christ intersects with our life. 
You're not calling people to follow you and like, these are my disciples. I'm trying to make them like me. No, what we're trying to do is help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we're doing it in the context of relationship, just like Jesus did and he commissioned us to do. And so in the context of relationships, we're helping people just say, hey, would you be interested in just having some like intentional conversations about uh, life and our faith in Christ? how it intersects with our personal lives, our family, our work, our ministry. If you, if you have kids and they share your last name, like, right? You're like, well, you probably want to start there even, right? You've got them for a season. You want to do everything you can to help them grow. And it's just this process. Discipleship is really far more organic than it is organizational. It's not that you're like, oh, I just got to plow through and get through all this material and you're discipled. No, it's, it's really discipleship comes through relationship. You're just coming alongside, you're helping people grow. So you just, in your context, ask some people. They may go, not really interested, totally fine, be very gracious with them. On the other hand, you might find some people like, hey, yeah, I would like to, to have some conversations like that. Which leads us then to the third uh, practice of how Jesus made disciples, and that was communicating with his disciples. So Jesus' practice was, having called his men, his plan was just to be with them, to talk with them as they traveled, as they ate. They were, they were always together, and he communicated with them on a wide variety of subjects and in lots of different ways. Certainly, they saw Jesus giving sermons, but then he would have like small group times. He would give them parables, riddles, proverbs, Sometimes ask them questions and give them answers. Sometimes just give them questions because he wanted to wrestle, have them wrestle with these issues because he was developing discernment. And that's exactly what rabbis did. They engaged. They were always involved. They would not only give them sermons they could hear, but they would give them sermons that they could see. They would watch Jesus, how he interacted with the highly educated, how he introduced himself and dealt with people that were struggling with of a wide variety of issues, from health issues to spiritual um, you know, disasters that are going on in their life, they would watch and they would hear and, and Jesus would be communicating with these people. They saw how Jesus interfaced with those who wanted to learn and those who hated him and, and even would refer to themselves as his enemies. They watched Jesus in action and he was developing them through communicating with them. And so when you and I, when we're involved in disciple-making, what we want to do is we just want to be communicating with individuals, communicating about how life in Christ can be manifested in our lives. Like life is a great acronym, right? It's part of our mission statement, to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. Life, loving God, investing in others, following his word, engaging our world. That's what we're doing. And so this is just, really, it's about conversation. You see, if you're going to have conversation, uh, you have to learn how to listen as well as how to talk and exchange. It's, it's very much like volleying uh, before, as you warm up before tennis, before you play tennis, right? And so you've got the ball, and you're like, hey, tell me about your day. Boom. Well, it's been pretty good. How about you? Well, guess what? Had something pretty interesting happen at work today. Really? Tell me about it. You see how we're doing that? It's not 
slamming it down people's throat. It's not just talking, you know, like you're some sort of machine just shooting out the balls or anything like that. It's a volleying back and forth. It's communicating. And what you're doing is you're developing trust. You're, you're looking them in the eye. They're sensing that you care for them. You're, you're for them. You're, you're building bridges of trust. And that's what you do. And discipleship oftentimes kind of occurs in three different arenas. Like you could say, hey, you know, would you like to study a book of the Bible or maybe a book, a Christian book, that's dealing with a particular subject of interest or great need in an individual's life? And so you kind of like read and you discuss that. It's generally helpful if you read it ahead of time, okay? And then you discuss these things. Another way that you avenue for discipling people is just in the context of ministry. You're involved in a ministry together, As you do it, you're talking about it. Afterwards, you're interchanging. It's probably one of the very best ways. But a third is just to have intentional conversations about talking about how our faith in Christ comes into play in a wide spectrum of areas, whether it be uh, your own personal life, your family, how you go about your ministry, your work. One of the things that you'll find to be really helpful in disciple-making is learn how to ask good questions. It'll make all the difference. And you're like, what is a good question? You're like, well, like, what are you a little afraid of? What do you wish you could change? Um, what do you find difficult to understand? Um, what are you grateful for? What are you excited about? What, what's really uh, hopeful in your life right now? And so you ask questions. Now, what happens is they, well, you kind of learn to ask questions of one another. And if you get asked a question and you don't know the answer, what do you do? Panic? No. You just go, hey, you know what? That's a really good question. I'll tell you what. How about we research it, and let's get back together, and let's kind of talk about it. And you're like, well, where do you go for researching? Well, uh, there's, you can ask people, but there's like places like got questions on the web. You want to go to reliable sources, but you can, you can actually find good answers, and these are all part of the fabric of great discussions. But for Jesus, there was not only communicating with his disciples, the fourth practice of Jesus is that you were coaching them. And so Jesus was really not just trying to create casual adherence, like, well, that was really cool. Jesus is really smart. He knows a lot of things. This is kind of helpful. What he was looking to develop were committed disciples. He was not only going to educate their minds, kind of infuse their soul of hope, joy, or peace, but he fully intended to do his work not only in them, but through them. And so as you see the Gospels unfold, you see that's exactly what Jesus did. He not only is communicating, but there's kind of like this point. You find it like in Matthew 10, Luke chapter 9, where all of a sudden he says, hey, this has been great. We're all hanging out. And today, I'm sending you out. And they're like, what? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to send you out. I want you to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to even give you power, my power. Power not only to speak the word, what I've been passing on to you, the gospel of the kingdom, I'm going to even give you power to do healing and even to cast out demons. I want to tell you what to expect, how to respond, and I'm sending you out. And so he did, the 12, and he paired them up, right? Because if you send them out as individuals, they're like, oh, I'm scared. But if you got one another and you keep looking, I guess, yeah, we're doing this, right? You keep going, right? And when they came back, there was all this debriefing. And then the next chapter in Luke 10, uh, what do you have is, well, Jesus sent out 70. And he did it by pairs. It was all very intentional, the exact same thing. 
training, talking, sending, them coming back, lessons learned. This was all part of the process of coaching them on how to be involved in his ministry. He would correct his men. He coached them. He would commune with them. As he communed with God, they would watch how, see how important prayer is in Jesus' life. They would say, hey, would you help us become people like that? This is all part of the coaching. When they saw Jesus uh, talking about how absolutely important it is to do the will of God and he himself doing it, his father, they're like, okay, we want to be like that. It was just very much like parenting. And the whole goal was to develop them what they would be like him. In fact, you see this. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Like him in knowledge, in convictions, in behavior. Their character would be like him. See, that's what discipleship is, is that we are growing into the likeness and the maturity of Christ. And so, like, when he talked about servant leadership, and then he modeled it by washing their feet, I want you to know this is all part of the coaching process messages they could hear and see he was coaching them. And so this is what we do in discipleship. We're not only communicating truth, but we're helping people integrate God's truth to their lives. It's not like we have all the answers, but we're like, we're, we're willing to share our experiences and what we've learned and how we're growing and how we're being challenged and how we failed and how we experienced God's grace. And it's just one friend helping another friend take those next steps. So that means that you will be in discipleship, you'll help people with foundational needs, like the key principles of what it means to know God, to walk with him, just some of the basics of the Christian life. But you will also find that as you interface with people, that not only foundational needs will arise, and you want to be proactive on that, but you'll have felt needs, things that are broken in that person's life, not working out so well, relationship failure, problems at work, forgiveness issues, struggles in ministry. And what it does is it gives you an opportunity to discuss these things and talk about how Jesus could be involved in us growing, healing, and moving forward by faith. And there are really kind of just four primary areas in a, in a Christian's life that you want to focus on. And like Ford Madison, Shane Sanders have done just such a good job of just really helping us understand these. And it's simply this. It's their personal life, spiritual life, like um, like how they're doing relationally, emotionally, intellectually. It's physically, it's their personal life. The second is their family life, family, extended family, if they're married, if they're going through a divorce, whatever that is, you're, you're helping them with their life. The third is their ministry life. Like, how are they serving God? And what, how do they identify their unique contribution to God's kingdom? And then also then their work life. How do they represent Christ and do their work for the glory of God? And really, it's just kind of like a good coach. You're always training, you're encouraging, you're listening. And that leads us really then to the fifth um, element of how Jesus made disciples. And this one is absolutely critical because if you don't have this one, you're not going to go very far. And we see it in Jesus. You've got to be caring for them. Everything that Jesus did from providing and protecting, investing, caring, it, it was all because he loved them. And so much did they understand that Jesus loved them that actually one of the disciples, John, actually referred to himself this way, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Maybe they all felt that way, but 
John wrote it several times, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we see Jesus loving them deeply. Like in John 13, 1, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It means the idea, love them completely, to the uttermost, fully. And so when they saw Jesus, they saw love being poured out in his life to them. And when they saw Jesus on that cross, they saw love poured out unto death for them, dying in their place, paying the penalty for their sin. Why? What held him there? Love. And I want you to know it is profound. And so for you and I, our disciple-making ministry, we got to care about people. When you love them, you can lead them. Then there are simple ways of just doing that. You can smile, shake their hands, look them in the eyes. You can express encouragement in a wide variety of different ways. And I want you to know just a little bit of encouragement, letting them know that, hey, I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. I want you to know that's going to go a long ways. It's how Jesus discipled his men and how we're to do the same. You want to look to connect at a heart level. And then all discipleship relationships had a transition point, a commissioning. That was true of rabbis. It was true of Jesus. Remember, he said, you know, uh, I want you to know I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. This time of intense travel and intense investment, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, but I want you to know I'm going back to the Father, but I will come back, and I want you to be involved in my work. And so there was this commissioning that takes place. And I want you to know that's what takes place when we disciple people. We're not helping them become disciples of us. We're helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus, and you're planting the seeds. Listen, this baton of faith that I am passing on to you, helping you understand the Word of God and how it applies to your life, I want you to know you need to carry that forward. I'm making these investments. You, in return, are going to grow and make investments in others for the kingdom. There's a commissioning. It's what we see Paul doing here. Even in his final letter, shortly before he's executed, he's fully passing on the baton of faith. And so, friends, I tell you, like a relay runner, we've got the baton. If you're a Christian, you have the baton of the faith in your hands, the word of God. Some of you are running an amazing race. Some of you, this has been like an eye-opener. Whoa, Jesus actually in tends that I'm going to be involved in people's development? Indeed he does, because we must pass this baton on to others. And let me give you a picture of what this looks like. Watch this video. You know, I'm a professional bass fisherman by career, and I, I have a son who's also a professional fisherman. Now, uh, I was a world champion back in 2008. My son is uh, number two in the world right now, and I'm 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 down in the 30s or 40s or somewhere. But so he's he's really gotten good. I maybe I taught him too well as, as he was growing up. But he he took a lot of what I taught him in the fishing world and began to apply it, and now has even surpassed me in, in, in his knowledge about especially certain aspects of fishing. Now one of the new techniques that he's learned is is what's called uh, glide bait. Okay. And I brought several with me here. I've got a nice collection of glide baits that were given to me by my son. And uh, since they're so valuable, you know, I, I picked a prominent spot out in my shop and I, I set all my glide baits up on a shelf. Well, 
Um, one day my son was going through my shop and, and he got this kind of horrified look on his face. He's like, Dad, why are those glide baits on your shelf? You can't catch anything on them if they're sitting on your shelf. He's like, I didn't give you those glide baits to just go stack on a shelf and look pretty. I gave them to you because they're useful tools and they can help you accomplish your job when you're out on the water. And boy, that really kind of hit me hard because, you know, I think a lot of times it's easy in our lives to take uh, spiritual principles from God's Word and we think it sounds really neat and it makes sense to us, but we just kind of put it on our shelf, on a shelf in our brain and we never really pull it out, but we never put it to use. You know, the first time I had a, a mentor who discipled me was actually in high school and it was a guy named Tim Savage. He was a, he was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary and I didn't even know the word discipleship then and he never used the word. Uh, what he did is he just he just uh, said, hey, why don't we start meeting together on Tuesday afternoons? I'll come by your house and we'll just hang out. And then when we started hanging out, you know what? Uh, there's he's, he was telling me one of my favorite books is the Book of Philippians. Let's let's just go through it together. And then as we're going through it together, he's like, you know what? Let me let me just teach you what I'm learning about how to study the Bible and how how really to take God's word and and, and then take it and apply it in your life. We, I didn't know it, but he was discipling me at that point. And over the years, God has brought uh, several people. In, into my life to do that. That's what life-giving discipleship um, is helping me do now, is take some of those tools that maybe I've had for a long time on a, on a theological, doctrinal shelf in my brain somewhere and say, you know what, uh, there's really a use, there's an application for those. And to then have men walk beside me and say, you know what, I've lived through that same situation. Here's, here's, a, here's how God showed me to deal with that and here, here, here's how I dealt with it. Take and I can can have relationships with, with other people and other men and walk along beside them and help them achieve victory by God's power through those same things. That's what life-giving discipleship has done for me. That's what it's all about. It's about fulfilling the great commissions. Go and make disciples. Remember friends, discipleship happens through relationship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privileges to open up your word, to gather with your people, to worship you. And Father, we recognize the baton of the faith has been placed into our hands solidly by your grace, and you've called us to advance it to the next generation, to give ourselves fully to your kingdom, to the gospel, to you. If there's someone here who has never truly trusted you, would they just pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. This morning, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want to know him as Savior and follow him as Lord. And Lord, may that be true of all of us. May we make the most of this opportunity that you've given us in these days for you to do your work in us and through us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Grant. You know, as Grant was praying, even coming out of the first service, this thought came to mind that you, you can't, you can't pass on what you don't possess. You know, when I was 16, I came to Christ, but no one taught me this idea of just continuing to walk with God. So let me encourage you this. As you walk out today, the question is, do you have a lifestyle of growing in grace? Let me encourage you that that's our first step. And when you become so overwhelmed with the beauty of Christ in your life, you want to share it with others. So hopefully this morning you also have a plan to live that out. So discipleship does happen through relationships. It's messy. That's why we're here to walk alongside, to encourage you all. We pray that you would have a blessed week walking with your Savior. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.